Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on John, Believe. Good morning, Cross family. And I do pray that you're having just an incredible morning. Uh, again, I'm very thankful for Nick, our worship team, and even contemplating the lyrics of the goodness and faithfulness of God. I pray that you're pressing into that today. Now, I want to kind of build off of where I was last week. Jesus declared to Peter in John 21, he said, if you love me, you're going to love what I love. And if you love me, you're going to care about what I care about. And that is people. God has called us, all of us, disciples of Christ, uh, to be in the people business. And leadership is all about people. It always has been. It always will be. Leadership is having the ability to relate and connect with people for the purpose of inspiring and empowering their lives. Now, here's the truth. If you cannot lead uh, people, you will not be able to really be an effective leader. You, you, you cannot lead people if you don't like people and you don't know how to deal with people. And building relationships with people is foundational for effective leadership. John Maxwell is one of the gurus in leadership talks, if you will. But he made this statement. He said, leaders give their very best to their people and leaders get the best from their people. So we are in the people business. God has called us to give ourselves away and our lives away in service. And Jesus would even make the statement that the greatest in the kingdom is the one who serves and is the one who genuinely loves other people. I was reading a story about Queen Victoria of England years ago. And she asked if she could meet with William Booth, who was the founder of the Salvation Army. And she was fascinated because she had heard so much about the work that William Booth was doing in the slums. And when they met, she asked him a question. She said, what is the secret to your success? And Booth replied, some men have a passion for money. Some have a passion for things. But he says, I have a passion for people. And I truly believe that if we love God and we're surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, we're going to see uh, people as the most valued uh, possession on this planet. Jesus even said in John chapter 13, starting in verse 34, he says, I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are truly my disciples. Now, I want to define a few words as I kind of get into this conversation with you today. Uh, the word sympathy. All of us have heard of the word sympathy, being sympathetic. But sympathy is defined as having feelings of pity or sorrow uh, for someone else's misfortune. And if you define sympathy uh, at the root, it means I'm feeling for you. I feel for you based on uh, the condition that you're in. Now, let me illustrate it this way. 
Uh, we have a gentleman in our church, and about three or four years ago, uh, he was leaving one night, uh, the grocery, and he was going home. And as he was driving down the road, he saw another gentleman walking down the road holding a few bags of groceries. It was raining outside. So the gentleman from our church, he saw this guy, and he felt for him. He had sympathy for him. And he pulled over, and he asked the gentleman, hey, would you like a ride? And the guy said, sure. He gets into uh, the car with my friend, and my friend takes this guy home that was walking in the rain. And so he takes him to his house. Hey, I'll help you take groceries in, whatever uh, you need. But then he starts this dialogue about, do you go to church? Are you involved in church anywhere? And the gentleman that he had picked up said no. And he said, what about if I come by on Sunday morning and pick you up? And my buddy Spencer Pratt drove over that Sunday morning, and he knocked on the door of Big Terry, and Terry said he wasn't really even expecting him to come. And he said, hey, man, I said I would take you to church with me today. And he said, Big Terry was like, well, I wasn't expecting you. He's like, well, then get ready and let's go. And Terry started coming to church. He's been coming ever since. But I'm telling you, it's because of my brother Spencer, God used him to fill for a man who was walking in the rain. And this is not about a white man picking up a black man. This is about a godly man having eyes to see another man that was walking in the rain saying, that man needs help. So God does call us to have sympathy, to feel for. Here's another uh, word for you. The word is empathy. And it's defined as the ability to understand or to feel what another person is experiencing from from their standpoint or viewpoint and experience. So when you empathize, it's about seeing whatever this other person is going through from their lens and perspective and not yours. A great definition or or, a great uh, way to define empathy, it, it means to lean into with compassion. And so when you see the word empathy, it's about feeling with Where sympathy is about feeling for, empathy is about feeling with. And the sociologist Brene Brown said it this way. She said, empathy is the willingness to go where someone else is living emotionally. Rather than trying to bring them to where you are, it's going to where they are. She said, it is very central to human connection. When someone is having a hard time, our job isn't to solve their problem. Our job is not to try to make them feel better or to put their difficulty in a better perspective, but it's just to listen and to seek to understand. It's not saying, I'll take away your pain or I'll take away your discomfort, but it is saying, I will sit with you and I will hang out with you in the midst of your pain. And I believe that all of us have teed up opportunities around us right now with everything that's going on to demonstrate empathy. When you study empathy, there's three different types of empathy. One, you've got cognitive empathy, and that's knowing knowing how the other person is feeling and what they might be thinking. It's all concept and intellectual. 
And then you have emotional empathy. And that's where most of us kind of define it, is when you feel uh, physically what the other person is feeling. It's like their emotions are contagious and you start to catch it. It's all emotional. It's feeling-oriented. But the deepest empathy, I believe, that God is calling you and I to walk in when it comes to being agents and ministers of reconciliation, of truly loving our neighbor, it's compassionate empathy. And that's when we understand a person's hardship and we feel for them and we feel with them and we're moved spontaneously to help. It is action-oriented. And you will hear people say, action speaks louder than words. And action is showing compassion, defining compassion. Great word. The word compassion means to suffer with. Compassion is an action word. And when a person is compassionate, they're saying, I will suffer with you. And all of us, all of us have the opportunity to act to relieve suffering that other people are going through. Whether we've been through a similar circumstance or not, we can walk in and start to show empathy and compassion. Galatians chapter 6, read it. But, the, but even as Paul writes to the believers in Galatia, he says, bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. He says bear, which means get underneath and help carry the load of other people and their burdens. And he never implies, please listen to me. He doesn't say rip the other person apart who's got a burden. He doesn't say dog the other person in their burden. He says this is going to show the world that we're truly walking with Jesus when we bear the burdens of other people. So authentic compassion, when you start to look at it, it increases our responsibility and it requires humility. And God, I believe, at such a time as this right now, he is, he's calling us to increase our responsibility. Be a responsible thinker. Be a responsible person. But it's going to require humility. Henry Nowen, one of my favorite guys to read. And Henry Nowen is considered kind of a class two Catholic guy. And he had stepped into the space of, of dealing with hurting people and, and, and a lot of people that were handicapped, if you will, even in Canada. Uh, but Henry Nowen really wanted to, to express and reveal Jesus to his world. Nowen said it this way. He said, compassion asks us, to go to where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, to share in fear, confusion, and anguish. And that is where we're living right now. So many people have fear and confusion and anguish. And now one would go on to say, compassion challenges us to cry out with those who are in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, and to weep with those in tears. That is the heartbeat of the gospel. Back even to John 11, the scripture says Jesus wept. He entered into the pain of Mary and Martha. So compassion will require us to be weak with those who are weak. Compassion will require us to 
to lean into the powerless as though we're completely powerless. Compassion, in its simplest definition, is full immersion into the condition of being human. And every person around us is human. Every person around us is fragile. Every person that we meet, even on their good days, oh, we're so fragile. So we've got to be willing to go to the places of hurt, go to the places of pain, go to the places of brokenness, fear, confusion, anguish. We've got to be willing to cry out with people when they're mourning and weeping, and we must be willing to be fully human with others. C.S. Lewis, the great scholar, said, affliction Oh, and affliction is such a gift. But he said, affliction is often that thing which prepares an ordinary person for some sort of extraordinary a destiny. And God is calling us right now as a church, as a body of believers, just a bunch of ordinary people to step into the affliction and pain for an extraordinary destiny. God is wanting to do something with you today. And God is desiring to do something with our church that has never been seen. And I can tell you, I, I realize that pain and suffering and injustices continue to happen throughout the world. It's happening in our country, and it happens even around us right now. And my heart is broken. My heart is broken as I seek to empathize with those who are hurting Jesus said again in John 13, oh, others will know you and they're going to know you belong to me and they're going to know you're my disciples by how well you love your neighbor, love each other just as I've loved you. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're truly my disciples. And so for me personally, I don't know what you've been asking yourself here over the last days and weeks, but I've been asking myself a few questions lately, and I would encourage you to consider these. But I've been asking, Tim, how can you truly empathize with your African-American brothers and sisters unless you listen to the pain that racism has caused? That is a real question I've been asking. Former Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice, she said it this way, we forget in the United States how long it has taken us to make we, the people, mean people like me. She says, I do think America was born with a birth defect, and it was slavery. This is one of the sharpest evangelical sisters you'll meet. But I do believe that as great as this nation is, it was born with a birth defect. It started back in 1619, even before we became the United States of America. And there's a lot of pain there. And I've been asking myself, how do I empathize with my brothers and sisters who have darker skin color, who still feel some of the oppression at times? Another question I've been asking is, how can I understand the difficulty of those who are really poor unless I sit down and listen to the pleas and the cries of their heart. A huge question I've been asking is how can I minister to my friends who are in law enforcement 
when they're under such scrutiny and face such opposition. And the majority of the guys who wear blue, I can tell you, they're good guys. And there's even a ton of godly guys in that space. How, God, can I show empathy and compassion and minister in that space? When you study the life of our Savior and Lord, Messiah, Jesus, the Scripture says Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the pain of the hurting and the oppressed and his followers of Jesus Christ. I can tell you, we are called to imitate our Savior and to love someone as Christ would lead us to love. It means that I must see that individual as God intended them to be. I don't look at them for who they are. I don't look at them for where they're at. But if I am going to live out the gospel and have the compassion of Jesus Christ, I must see that individual as God intended for them to be. So even as I start to think through compassion and empathy, I I really believe that it is worth noting uh, Dr. King Uh, Dr. King had six principles, if you will, of nonviolence, and I've gone back over those recently. Yes, Dr. King, he was known for civil rights activism, but he was also committed. He was big time committed to nonviolence, so much so that these principles that he laid out for the people back in the 60s. It it was so strong in Dr. King's heart that he had everyone that was going to be a participant in the march sign an agreement saying, yes, I agree to the six principles of nonviolence. Dr. King said, it is wrong for us to leave people in their hate. Here's the six principles. One, he said, nonviolence is a way of life for courageous people. And I believe that with all my heart. Nonviolence is a way of life for courageous people. You don't have to loot. You don't have to blow up things. You don't have to do all that. There's a way to get our message out. And nonviolence is for courageous people. He said it's a way of life. The second thing he said was this. Nonviolence seeks to win friendship and understanding, which implies we're not just trying to win the argument and be right. We really desire to love you as our neighbor and to build friendship and understanding. The third thing he said was, it seeks to defeat injustice, not people. It was about issues and not about individuals. The fourth thing he said is, uh, the move of nonviolence holds to the truth that suffering can educate and transform. And even David would say, it was good for me that I was afflicted so that I could learn your ways. And Oftentimes, in the midst of suffering and pain, that's when the deepest transformation happens. This was one of his principles, all extracted from Scripture. Number five, he said, nonviolence chooses love instead of hate. It chooses love. And Dr. King was well aware of what agape looked like. And then principle number six, he says, nonviolence believes that the universe is on the side of justice. We desire to see People live with courage, develop friendship, practice justice, embrace suffering. And he was all about loving people. And God has called us at such a time as this to step into the space with other people who may not see eye to eye, who may who may disagree with us, but he's called us to extend the hope of the gospel of Jesus in a loving way. 
And here's the fallacy for all of us. The fallacy is to assume that I know the why of another person's heart. When I sit down in dialogue with people, until I hear their why, I can't assume that I know their why. And I want to hear why. What, what, what is deep down inside your core operational belief system? What drives you? And I personally believe that empathy and compassion, guys, is the root of the solution that God is calling us to. But we must sit down and we must interact with open ears and an open heart if we are ever going to be a part of affecting change, not only here in Loganville, but beyond. If I'm really going to see change happen, and if I'm going to be a part of affecting change, I've got to come with open ears and an open heart. Here's what I know. I've been in ministry now for many years, many years. I uh, stepped into that ministry space in 1989, and I can tell you ministry is messy, and ministry takes time, but it is what God has called us to do if our hearts are truly for him. Brennan Manning, in the ragamuffin gospel, Brennan Manning said it this way. He said, if you don't know what hurts a person, how can you say you love them? I want to know what hurts you. And some of the practical ways I believe that you and I can practice empathy and compassion. Some of the practical ways that we can reflect the gospel. Some of the practical ways that we can love our neighbor. I want to give you four H's in closing. The first H would be this. I believe we have to learn how to hurt. We have to lament. We have to weep with those who are weeping. Pain is real. The universal language is suffering. Every person we meet has got pain and sorrow and suffering going on in their lives. And when we feel the heartache and the heartbreak of those around us and we begin to hurt, I believe it opens up the space for us to step in and to really be the hands and feet of Jesus. Romans chapter 12, I love the way Eugene Peterson captures Romans 12 beginning in 14. He goes, bless your enemies. And then he says, no cursing under your breath. Laugh with your happy friends when they're happy, but shed tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with the nobodies. Get along with everybody. And then he says, God says, I'll do the judging. I'll take care of it. And I believe one of the healthiest things we can do is to sit there and hurt with people. Dr. Paul Brand shared this truth in his book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. He said, when I ask patients and I ask their families, who helped you in your suffering? The person described rarely has smooth answers or a bubbling personality. He said, but it is usually someone who is quiet and understanding, one who listens more than they talk, one who does not judge or even offer much advice. They had patience. They had a hand to hold. They were understanding. They offered a caring hug, and they even shared a lump in their throat. And I believe God is calling us to have a lump 
in our throat, to offer hugs, to reach out to people that have been made in the image of God and hurt with people right now. If we take a stance and we're anti this and anti that, and I'm right, we're not going to hurt with other people. And I believe one of the greatest ministries that we can practice right now is weeping with those who weep to hurt. It would be the second H. I would say hear, listen to others, share their heart. Every story matters. Your story matters. And we're not saying you have to agree, but please seek to understand others. Listen, be a non-judgmental. That's healthy for us. When you're listening, it's like, all right, I'm, I'm not going to go in there with all these judgments and, 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 and views, and I, I want the person to be able to share their heart. I, I'm not saying that you refuse to use discernment. That would be ignorant. But listen, discern, let other people share their hearts. Over the years, I've used the acrostic lips, L-I-P-S. It's listen. It's inquire. It's process, and then later maybe speak or share a word, but listen, inquire, process. James 1, beautiful, beautiful uh, statement here. He says, be quick, be quick to listen. He doesn't say be quick to talk. He doesn't say be quick to share your opinion. He doesn't say be quick to shut other people down. He goes, be quick to listen, be slow to speak. And be slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And I, again, would encourage you when you sit around in dialogue and you're hearing, go deeper in communication. John Powell in his book, Why uh, Am I Afraid to Tell You Really Who I Am? He breaks down the five levels of communication, and I shared it in the message I did on racism and reconciliation, but I think this is so crucial. Again, I would invite you to dive into these five levels of communication. He talked about cliche, right? How are you? Uh, what's up? I mean, it's just cliche talk. It, it doesn't go anywhere, and, and we're not going to see healing, and we're not going to practice tikkun olam if we live a cliche life in communication, but then he talked about facts. There's little emotion, Again, hey, what's your name? Where do you work? Uh, opinions. I'm free to express my thoughts now. That's a good place to go in dialogue. But feelings, that's where you're free to share your heart and what's really going on inside of you. And it will lead, hopefully, to transparency where there's comfort and trust. And when we go through tough times, a lot of people are at the feeling level. But we just want to throw out facts. And there's a disconnect. There's missing each other in communication. If we will listen to people and their feelings, the time will come where we can unpackage facts. But sometimes people are hurting. And I have jacked this up so many times in marriage where Barb was having certain feelings and she was wanting to express her feelings and I would shut her down because I'm like, well, I just want to know the facts. And oh, this is such a great teaching of whether we're being agents of reconciliation to the world, whether we're practicing the goodness of the, the, the gospel in our marriage. I mean, I want to get over here to feelings and transparency. And when people go there, I mean, we've got to be willing to step into the space with them 
My third H would be help. Just lean into their stories. Lean into other people's stories because behind every story is a personal struggle. And if we're really the hands and feet of Jesus, we're going to look for opportunities to serve. Even Jesus told a story in Matthew 25, but he, but he wrapped up the story in Matthew 25 by saying, come, you who are now blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me into your home. Oh, I was naked. You gave me clothing. I was sick. You cared for me. I was in prison. You visited me. And that whole, that whole story right there just screams, you helped. You did something to help me in my affliction and pain. I was sick. I was naked. I, I was thirsty. I was hungry. You helped me. Thank you so much. And I would invite you. You've got to be willing to step out of your comfort zone. St. Augustine said, what does love look like? He said, it has the hands to help others. It has the feet that races to the poor and needy. It has eyes that see misery. It has ears to hear the sighs and the sorrows of men. He goes, oh, that's what love looks like. And I can tell you, it sees, it smells, it hears, it feels what others are going through. So we've got to be willing to hurt. We've got to be willing to hear. We've got to be willing to help. And here's the fourth H that God has given to the redeemed of the Lord. We can now offer hope to those who are hurting, hope to those who are feeling helpless and powerless, those who feel that their voice doesn't matter. We have the hope of the gospel, and we can be a part of reconciliation and restoration in the lives of others. God has given us teed-up opportunities to share the hope of the gospel that is found only in the person of Jesus Christ right now like never before. And you and I know that the hope of the gospel does not disappoint. It delivers. It sets free. It changes people's perspective. And in 2 Corinthians 5, even Paul would write, God has given us, that would be you, that would be me, that would be our staff, people that belong to the Lord. God has given us the assignment of reconciling people to him. God gave us the message of reconciliation. We are Christ's ambassadors to the world. And God is now making his appeal through us, you, me, that we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And this is a very, very vulnerable time. And people are trying to figure out what's going on. Come back to God. Run back to the loving arms of the Father. I would encourage you today. Maybe you're drifting out there. You're like, I have no clue of, of even having purpose and meaning and direction in life. Come back to God. Repent. Cry out to Jesus. Ask the Lord to save you, to redeem you. Maybe you're a believer and you've drifted. And maybe with all that has been happening, you've become bitter and not broken. You've become harsh and not helpful. 
and you've become very, very just angry, come back to God. Please come back to God. Again, as Jesus spoke to Peter, Peter, if you love me, you're going to love what I love. And Peter, if you love me, you're going to care about what I care about. I care about people, fish for people. Peter, I want to use you. I believe in you. And I would say that to you today. I believe in you. I believe God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything you can ask or think. I believe in you. I don't believe any eye has seen, ear has heard, nor any mind can conceive what God has in store for those who love him. I believe in you, but come back to God. Run back to the Father and allow healing to take place in your life today. I would encourage you as you walk the streets and as you encounter others, wherever you're at, God has called you to be an agent, an an ambassador, a messenger of reconciliation. Take the gospel first and foremost to your world and to those around you. Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for demonstrating what empathy and compassion and love was all about. Lord, so much so that you said, I love the world so much that I'm sending my son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And Father, I pray that each of us would believe with all of our hearts that Jesus would be the center of who we are that our identity would be rooted and established in the person of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that in this chaotic time that we find ourselves living, or 2020, what a trippy narrative this year has been. But one thing is for sure, grass is withered and flowers continue to fade, but the word of God stays steadfast and it remains and the gospel remains, and I pray that every person under my voice would be a gospel-centered person, Lord, that we would lay aside, Lord, those things that seek to divide, that we would run to the shed blood of Jesus, we would allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, and that we would take the message of hope to our world. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for an awakening I pray for revival today inside the hearts of every one of us. And now, Father, as we continue to worship and as we glorify you in song, Lord, I pray that our eyes would be lifted to the hills, to the king. That's where our strength comes from. So we give you praise for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith, uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. 
That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. And we pray that you utilize those. And we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy uh, the abundant life in Christ.